the book of the Acts of the Apostles 13. In our meeting last week, we looked at the command by the Lord, wait for the promise of the Father, with a view to seeing what it means to wait for the promises of God in general, and more specifically, for the promise of the Holy Spirit baptism. We noted that promises made by God are always as good as done. However, because there is a time lag between when the promise is made and when it does come to pass, there is the need for us to wait for the promises of God. This matter of waiting for the promises of God has given rise to impatience in the lives of so many people who then go about trying to resolve issues on their own with disastrous consequences, as we saw in the case of Abraham, Sarai, and Hagar. We thus learned lessons about waiting for the promises of God, including the promise of the Father, as follows. 1. Scripturally, waiting is not to be done fretfully, anxiously, or passively. Rather, we are to wait expectantly, without complaining, grumbling, or murmuring, always looking forward to the manifestation of the promise. 2. Scriptural waiting is not an aimless, hopeless, and endless act. Rather, we must keep our focus on the promise in anticipation, knowing that at the time set or appointed by God, the promise will surely come. 3. When God makes a promise to you, you need to write down the promise as revealed, not as you may perceive it, so that you can always keep it in view and not be blindsided. 4. You need to be resolute in your faith in God and in His Word. 5. You need to patiently endure the challenges that do come with waiting. Public humiliation, loss of property, incarceration, threats to life, and so on. 6. You need to, pres- to persevere in prayer and communion with God, regardless of what may be happening to the contrary of what has been promised. And 7. While waiting, expect God to rehash and rehearse the promise in your heart to help you hold on to the promise and to renew your strength so that you can keep on waiting and soar above seeming contradictions to the promise. In applying the above lessons to waiting for the promise of the Father, that is the Holy Spirit baptism, you need to keep on asking, keep on seeking, and keep on knocking. Be sure to hold on to God's word on the baptism of the Holy Spirit and be expectant regardless of any feeling of humiliation among other believers and mockery by unbelievers because the promise of the Father shall surely come upon you. Praise the name of the Lord. Tonight we are going to be reading four scripture texts. So let's begin with the first one. Acts chapter 1 verse 4 to 5. Acts chapter 1 verse 4 to 5. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, Ye have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but he shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. The first scripture we've read is the, one, the same one we read as our scripture text last week. And we began to discuss that. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. In this one verse of scripture, we have 
essentially what we call the three great promises of God rolled into one. This was God's judgment or God's pronouncement on the serpent for misleading Eve who misled Adam and they sinned against God. And God made a vow that between the seed of the serpent, which is basically Satan and his demons, and the seed of the woman, basically the Lord Jesus Christ, and of course the church, there will be perpetual enmity. That enmity is only going to end when the head of the serpent is finally crushed. And so for as long as Satan is still free, this scripture is still being fulfilled. We are going to be discussing, we are going to look at those three promises later, and then you will see um, where we are going to with all of this. Psalm 110, Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. If you tie Genesis 3.15 and this together, you will see that until Satan has become the footstool of Christ, the prophecy still holds. It is yet to be completely fulfilled. It's been accomplished in part, yet to be accomplished in whole. You remember when Gideon captured two kings, is it Zeb, Zeb and Oreb or so? He told his sons to put their, their legs on the necks of these kings because they have conquered them. That is what he's saying here. There is a victory that is going to come, a final victory when death is finally conquered. This world is rolled away and a new world is brought in. Then let's look at Daniel chapter 9 and we read, we begin to read from verse 2 to the end. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments. We have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled, even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. Neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings and our princes, to our fathers and all the people of the Lord, of the land. O Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but to us shame of face, as it is this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and all Israel, those near and those far off in all the countries to which you have driven them, because of the unfaithfulness which they have committed against you. O Lord, to us belongs shame of face, to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which he said before us by his servants the prophets. Yes, all Israel has transgressed your law and has departed so as not to obey your voice. Therefore, the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, 
have been poured out on us because we have sinned against him. And he has confirmed his words which he spoke against us and against our judges who judged us by bringing upon us a great disaster for under the whole heaven such has never been done as what has been done to Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God, that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept the disaster in mind and brought it upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in all the works which he does, though we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and made yourself a name as it is this day, we have sinned, we have done wickedly. Our Lord, according to all your righteousness, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city Jerusalem, your holy mountain, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people are a reproach to all those around us. Now therefore, our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications, and for the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is, de- which is desolate. O oh my God, incline your ear and hear, open your eyes and see our desolations, and the city which is called by your name, for we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God. For your city and your people are called by your name. This is exactly what we are asking us to do. Verse 20. Now, while I was speaking, praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord, my God, for the holy mountain of my God. Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. Now, let's note these last few verses. Seventy weeks are determined for your people. For who now? For his people. Who are his people? Israel. And for your holy city. What's the holy city there? Jerusalem. To finish the transgression. To make an end of sins. To make reconciliation for iniquity. To bring in everlasting righteousness. To seal up vision and prophecy. And to anoint the most holy. This prophecy is talking about the end. Verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks. If you add the two the weeks, what are those two weeks now? Sixty-nine weeks. Remember I said seventy weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. And after the 62 weeks, you know, he has broken it into three parts. The first part is seven weeks. The second part is 62 weeks. The last part is one week. So he's speaking of the second part now. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off 
But not for himself. I need to explain that bit. Not for himself, meaning for the sins of men, not for his own sin. And the people of the prince, who is to come, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. This was when Titus destroyed the city. The end of it shall be with a flood. Until the end of the war, desolations are determined. Verse 27. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. That's the last one week. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to the sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate. Even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. This is a powerful prophecy of the end time. Bible scholars have told us that the first 69 weeks have already been fulfilled. Now, the word weeks, as used here, means seven. So, seven weeks means seven sevens and refers to number of years. So, there was 49 years and then there was 62 times seven years. If you add the two together, it comes up to um, 483 years from the time that a particular decree was given, which was when Cyrus told them to return. So while Jeremiah, uh, whilst Jeremiah was writing 70 years in captivity, and Daniel was saying to God, the 70 years is up, God was saying to Jeremiah, there are 70 sevens determined for Israel, 483 years. During that 483 years, a lot of things will happen, the temple will be rebuilt, and the Messiah will appear. But at the end of the 483 years, the Messiah will be cut off, which meant, which refers to the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Which was why the Lord Jesus Christ kept telling people, do not tell anybody when he did this, because he wanted the 483 years dead on dot. And Bible scholars have calculated it, he was killed on the dead dot of 483 years, the same day. Now, after he died and he resurrected, there's one week left. Is that not so? But it appears nothing has happened to that one week. The events of that last one week, which is, one, which is seven years now, because remember, week is seven. So one times seven is what? Seven. The events of this last seven years is yet to take place. In eschatology, it is called the, the, the seven years of tribulation, three and a half years of tribulation, and three and a half years of greater tribulation. If you look at verse 27 of Daniel chapter 9, it says, Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. What is going to happen is this. Israel, as we know it today, will, right now Israel is the delight of many, many kings and also the enemy of many kings or many, many presidents or whatever you want, leaders, world leaders. But there's the Antichrist, when the Antichrist appears, he's going to come as a man of peace. You know, right now there's no peace in the Middle East. The man who can solidly bring in peace into the Middle East and sustain that peace is that Antichrist. So when the day you see somebody who is able to keep the peace and maintain it in the Middle East, you have seen the Antichrist. But for those who are believers, they will not be there. Once that man manifests himself, the rapture will take place. From that time when the rapture has taken place, the last seven begins to count. Remember, this prophecy applies to who? Applies to who? 
to Israel. So, the 483 years has ended. There is a space between that 483 years and the last seven years. That space is called the age or the time of the Gentiles. That's our time. This is the, wi- the window that God has given us to be saved. It is also the window that God has given any Jew that is alive today. That may not be alive at the end of the seven, those, that last seven years to be born again. This is the window that God has created. Within this window, people get born again. People are sanctified. People are living right for God. Making themselves ready to be raptured. The moment the rapture takes place, the window of the Gentile shuts. And the, the, the prophecy now continues to that last seven days. That, that last seven years. In that last seven years, certain activities will be taking place. You remember the rapture has taken, has taken place now. Everyone who has been raptured will stand before Christ for the judgment at the judgment seat of Christ to receive our rewards or our booze for what we ought to have done and did not do or what we did and did right. The first thing they have here is in heaven. While they are suffering here on earth, we are there facing our own judgment. The second three and a half years, when the tribulation will become very severe, at that time, the Jews are going to be severely hunted down. That is where the 144 Jews, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes, I think one or two tribes are not mentioned of these 12 tribes, will, that is when those 12,000 will, will be killed because they will now hold on to the Messiah. It is at the end of that seven years, that the two witnesses, towards the end of the seven, no, that, I think that's three and a half years. This second, the two witnesses will be sent by God from heaven to come and preach. They will be preaching. So it is their preaching that will be bringing the Jews to come to Christ. It's also the time when the angels will be released to preach. Because there will be, no, there will be nobody who can preach again. All the preachers have, have been taken away. The Holy Spirit has gone. Now, at that point in time, towards the, at the end of the second three and a half years, the greater tribulation, these witnesses, these two witnesses will now be killed. And their bodies left because they have tormented the world with preaching. So the bodies will be left and the whole world will see their bodies lying there for a space of how many days? Three days. Then suddenly, they will get up, dust their bodies, and ascend to heaven. At the end of that seven years, the, the Lord Jesus Christ. That, now, that second three and a half years, we would have been judged in the first three and a half years. Those who have received their reward, received their, people will be rejoicing, people will be crying. Then God will come and say, don't worry, don't cry again. Eh? That's why he says there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. But people will now say, God will come and say, we'll comfort everybody and say, don't cry again. Then we get ready for the union with Christ. The marriage supper of the Lamb. That marriage supper will last the three and a half years. While greater tribulation is going down on earth, greater enjoyment is taking place in heaven. Then at the end of the marriage supper of the Lamb, Christ now puts on his robe of war. And his saints with him, they will now come down to Mount Olive from where he arose. And with the word of his mouth, he will speak. And the nations of the world, the, 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 the soldiers who came to fight, all of them will be, will be destroyed. They will be killed completely. And they will just be on the ground. Birds, God will invite birds to come out. Because there will be too many to bury. 
So God will have to invite birds to come and, and animals to come and just begin to eat. That's how they are going to clear the, the dead bodies. After the dead bodies are cleared, in that time, Christ now establishes his kingdom on the earth and puts his capital, Jerusalem. And like I've told you before, those of us who are hardworking and preaching the gospel will have our own small territories delineated to us. Those who are believers but did not get the kind of reward they're supposed to get will be attached to some of us to be involved in the taking care of us. Praise the name of the Lord. In scripture, there are three great promises that are about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The first of these promises, the coming of the Lord in the flesh as Savior for the salvation of mankind has already taken place. The second is the coming of the Lord by His Spirit, the Holy Spirit, upon those who have believed in Him for their salvation, for divine service, and is still being fulfilled in the lives of many. This is Holy Spirit baptism, what we call the promise of the Father. The first time, He came in the flesh. The second time, He has returned how? In the Spirit. You remember the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Christ. I remember when He said to them that, I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. It was by His Spirit. And the third and last of these great promises is the return of the Lord Jesus in power and great glory to take to Himself all those who have been saved and sanctified and to set up His kingdom on the earth and is yet to be fulfilled and the subject of tonight's study. Praise the name of the Lord. So we are going to be looking at the promise and the wait. This time, the second coming of the Lord. Now, let me say this. The reason why these promises, these three promises are called, or the reason why I refer to them as the three great promises, is because every other promise is made as a, as, as, as with these three promises as the basis. For example, in Genesis chapter 12, when God said to Abraham that in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Where was that blessing coming from? The coming, the first coming of Christ. And also the second coming of Christ. Do you understand that? When Isaac was given, when Isaac was promised, what was the basis of the promise of Isaac? Christ. Because he was not talking about the lineage through which Christ will come. So, it's, 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 it's tied to these promises. Now, any promise that God gives you also is tied to one of these three promises. The promise of our salvation is tied to what now? The first coming of Christ. The promise of our being able to serve God acceptably is tied to which one now? The Holy Spirit baptism. The promise of eternity is tied to which one now? The second coming. Do you, do you understand that? So every promise that you take, if God is telling you that I am going to send you to a place and you are going to earn money, the earning of that money is tied to one of these three promises. Do you understand that? It's tied to fulfilling these three promises. So a man who has money and is just spending it on himself and not using it for the extension and expansion of the kingdom of God, that man has made that promise void or useless or even vain. So the promise and the wait, the second coming of the Lord. Our discussion tonight is not to talk about the second coming per se. Rather, 
we want to apply what we have already studied about waiting to waiting for the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you understand that? Remember, we have learned that our waiting is to be with expectation. We are to put the word before us. Remember, we said, write it on the, in the book. We have the book. Now, what's the book that we have? The Bible. So, we must read it every time. And we must look forward without grumbling, without complaining. We had mentioned that we must, exercise, we must exercise resolute faith. We must believe in this second coming. And not allow ourselves to be blindsided by anybody. We must patiently persevere. Is that not so? We mentioned that. Patiently persevere. Why? Because many of us will be thrown into prison. Our problems will be taken away. Beheadings will take place. All manner of killings. Persecution will happen. But we must endure. We must be prayerful. We must keep communing with God. These are things we have already said. So even if we use those basics in handling the matter of the second coming, we will do fairly okay. But there are some major ones that are very, very relevant and tied essentially to the second coming that we want to look at. Suffice to note that the second coming of the Lord is not a one-moment event, I'll explain that, but a series of events that begin with the catching up of the saints, what is called the rapture. You, you will never find the word rapture in the Bible. What you will find is to be caught up, a puzzle. That's what you are going to find. And that, and, that, and that ends with the physical presence of the Lord on the earth to set up his kingdom. By the grace of God, next week, I believe, we should be looking at the kingdom of God. And the Lord will help us to understand what is being said there. Now, in John chapter 14, from verse 2 to verse 6, when the Lord Jesus had the last supper and was preparing his disciples for his imminent departure. He said to them, In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. What is he talking about here now? Talking about, first of all, his crucifixion, his ascension, and then he's also talking about his preparations, and finally, his second coming. In verse 5, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So we find that, keep that there, Acts chapter 1. We are reading a portion that we are yet to encounter uh, Acts chapter 1 verse 9 through to 11. And when he had, that is Jesus, had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood up, stood by rather, by them, in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Referring to the second coming. When he's going to land on that Mount Olives, like I said to you, and speak, and the nations will be destroyed. So, the second coming is not 
something we want to, I don't want to, we are not going into the argument of whether there is a second coming or not. No, it is, it is a, there is a second coming. Definitely. So that's not what we want to discuss. We are not discussing second coming per se. No. I know that there are arguments about, people talk about the, uh, there, are, there are groups on pre-tribulation, uh, post-tribulation, mid-tribulation. There are all kinds of things in theology. Those things have nothing really, it, it, it has nothing to do, to do with our salvation. The most important thing is that make sure you are saved. Whether there's a tribulation or whether you are going to be in the tribulation or not is irrelevant. Just make sure you are saved. Make sure you are ready. Now, in Second Peter, which is what is going to form the, 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 the basis of the rest of our discussion on waiting for the second coming. Second Peter chapter 3 from verse 1 to the end. Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. He says, be careful. People are going to come to dissuade you that you people are talking of his coming. coming. Where is he now? And I'm sure you'll be hearing it. Say, so all this is coming, just coming, just coming. Where is he? In verse 5. For this they will fully forget, that by the word of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. People have given all manner of interpretations to these things. But the Bible speaks clearly on this thing. This earth that we are in, is going to be destroyed by fire. Some people say, no, 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 God is speaking of only men, that the buildings will remain. Why do you think that discussion is taking that trend? So that you can continue to build. Every of these buildings, it will burn. Those massive auditorium we are building, it will burn. The houses built with gold, they will burn. Verse 8. But beloved, do not forget this one thing. That with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. This again, some people have used it to describe the fact that God created the world in six days, and on the seventh day he rested. Meaning that uh, when, we, when we start counting, they've counted the years, and they've seen that we are about six, the world is about 6,000 plus years from Adam to date. And they are saying that, well, so that's why you see people coming up with computations. By this year, the world will come to an end. By this year, nobody knows it except God. Verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. Don't think that the second coming will not, will not come. He says, God is not slack. God is not delayed. No, 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 no. As some count slackness. But is long-suffering toward us. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So, why is there, where does it seem that there is a delay? Because God does not want anyone to perish. God wants all to come to repentance. So, you see that if we are not evangelizing, we are, we are creating problems for ourselves. Verse 10. 
But the day of the Lord, what's the day of the Lord now? What's the day of the Lord here? He's also referring to the second coming. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Does it not support that everything will be burned up? Therefore, now he's saying this, uh, you see what is happening? He says, therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Should that become our pursuit? Should we say, we shouldn't build houses? No. If we are there, we want to build a build a house. But build a functional house. What are you doing building mansions? If you are a believer, you have a mansion in, 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 in heaven already. How many rooms can you possibly live in at a time? Verse 12. Looking for. That is one of the things we mentioned about waiting. Expectantly. Looking for. And hastening the coming of the day of God. How do we hasten the coming of the day of God? Making sure that everybody has heard the gospel. Because if everybody has not heard, Christ is not coming. And then if we are not ready, because Christ does not want to lose us, he, there will be time being given by the Lord to allow many. Even he can be interceding. When God says it's time, he can be interceding and say, please, allow them to correct themselves. So let's understand why the delay is going on. Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. This whole earth that we are seeing will be removed completely. A new one will be created. And that's where we are going to dwell. But all of this is at the end of the millennial reign. Therefore, verse 14, beloved, looking forward to these things, since we are anticipating these things, hmm, be diligent to be found by him in peace. Without spot and blameless. What does that mean? Make sure you are holy. When he comes, make sure he finds you living a life of peace with all men. Make sure he finds you walking holy. Verse 15. And consider that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation. The fact that God is waiting long, what is he doing? Giving more people opportunity to be saved. Giving those of us who have already been saved and backsliding opportunity to, to, to return. Do you understand? Each time you, are, you, are, you wake up in the morning and you want to thank God that you are alive. You are not thanking God that you are alive for next, because you are breathing air or you have not died. No. You are thanking God you are alive because of one of three things. Number one, you are not saved. It's a day that you can be saved. Number two, you were saved but you did some things that if Christ had come at night, you were gone. You have opportunity to repent and start all over again. Number three, you are saved, you are standing everything, but your works, you have opportunity to add more to your works. Do you understand that? So when we, whenever we wake up and we're saying, Father, thank you for that I've woken up, it's not because I've woken up because I'm alive, or the, the man who died was a sinner. No, righteous people die. Amen. Because God has given you opportunity, one of these three opportunities, either to be saved, to return to God, or to add to your good works. As also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people 
twist to their own destruction as they do also the rest of scriptures. There's one, I told there's one man in Lagos whose, whose main attack is against Paul's epistles. Have you seen what, what, how Peter wrote about such people? He says, which untaught and unstable people. Verse 17. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware, lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and forever. Amen. Grow in grace. Keep growing. The grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't take the grace of God in vain. Don't, mis- don't abuse the grace of God. Don't call the grace of God what it is not. Grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. As I, was, I, I, I shared with a few people this morning. And one of the things I kept asking them is, What do you know about God? Since you gave your life to Christ, What knowledge of God have you acquired? How have you grown? How have you increased in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? They had no answer. Because they go to churches where they tell them how to make money, how to become great, and sins, and, and so on and so forth. Whereas, what is important is what? You're growing in the knowledge of God. You will recall in John chapter 17, verse 3, John chapter 17, verse 3, when the Lord Jesus was praying, He said, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, God, the Father, and Jesus Christ, the Son. This is eternal life. So if you say you want to live eternally, and you are not growing in your knowledge of God. Sorry, you are not going anywhere. I believe it's Jeremiah chapter 9 verse 23 and 24 also. Where God said, let the wise man not glory in his wisdom. Let the rich man not glory in his wealth. If you are going to boast, boast in this one thing. That you know God. That you know him to be a faithful and just God. He says, this thing, it delights me. Our knowledge of God must never be compromised. So in the time when we are waiting, between now and when the second coming will arrive, if we are alive, what should we be doing? Increasing in our knowledge of God. Increasing in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. It means we keep reading the Bible. We cannot make, the, the, we cannot make wealth a pursuit because it will melt away. We cannot make building a mansion a pursuit. It will be destroyed by fire. What we make, what we do is, if we have opportunity to build, we build what is functional. What can give us the, the, the spaces that we need? A living room where we entertain people or people come and wait. A dining room where we can have our meals and meet with one or two people. And the bedrooms for ourselves, maybe for our children. Male bedroom, female bedroom. If you have enough for each of the children, no problem. You can do that. But you don't build a mansion of 100, of 100 rooms. Who is living in them? Why waste such money? You don't go and buy ten cars and keep. Who is driving the ten cars? You're a Christian. For what purpose? To be looking at it. Praise the name of the Lord. In Matthew chapter 24, from verse 10 through to 14, the Lord Jesus is telling us about the things that will happen between now or then and now and when the second coming will finally take place. He says, and then many will be offended, will betray one another. And will hate one another. It should not take you by surprise. That a Christian brother hates another Christian brother. That a Christian brother is betraying another Christian brother. That there is no love. That people are being offended. By the word of God. Verse 11. 
then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Remember, I've always told you, when you see many, it means the, the balance is what? Few. Many people have been deceived. Only very few are not being deceived. There are many false prophets. The Bible says they will rise up. There are very few who are true prophets of God. But very many are prophets of Satan. And they have, they have, they have come to deceive. And they are deceiving men. Verse 12. And because lawlessness will abound. Even in the house of God there is lawlessness. Where we should be lawful. We are lawless. Because lawlessness will abound. The love of many will grow. Because you see people who are living like children of Satan. And they have not dropped dead. The love they had for God. is Suddenly they will just say. Ah, it appears we are not. Are you sure that this uh, Christian thing is real? That's what you see today. People are living as they like. They are not following the word of God. Why? Because they are seeing people who are not following the word of God. They have not, they have not been struck dead. Nobody has killed them. They are still breathing. They are still living. So the love of many will grow cold. The King James says wax cold. You know how candle wax is. When it melts. After some time, if it gets cold, it becomes hard. That's how. You, nothing will be able to penetrate them. Their heart will be hardened. They will not be able to love anybody again. They were Christians once. But they are, now they are, they are something else. They are unable to love God. They are unable to love men. That's why they will be betrayed and, and, and lying against one another. In verse 13. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. The doctrine of once saved, always saved, has failed. Based on this one verse of scripture. If I am saved and I continue to follow Christ... Yes, I'm always saved. But if I am saved and I make a detour and quote the scripture, sorry, it's not going to happen. Because it says, but he who what? Endures. The, the Lord already understands that there is a struggle that will take place for you to stand and hold on till the very end. Remember we mentioned patient endurance last week. Verse 24. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. The end will not come until this gospel is preached in all the world as a witness. That's why in your prayer closet, you should start praying for those closed nations like Saudi Arabia. Nations that are closed, that God should begin to open them up because they need to hear the gospel. You, you should start praying that people like Donald Trump who say they want to build a wall, that that wall should never be built. Because there are some people that we cannot evangelize in their countries. But in a country like America, they, you can speak to them about Christ. They can't carry a knife. These are things that we need to understand that we don't understand. Let's go to verse 29 through to 31. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of trumpets. And they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. This is what some people say that we will still be on the earth when the tribulation is taking place. That's, this is the scripture. But they, they fail to realize that God, you cannot choose only one scripture 
and mix. You must look at it across board. This applies as far as it goes to Israel. But you see, you, you remember what we said about when God makes a promise. What does he do after a while? He begins to give more details. You know, the first time he will just say it blank. Then later he will be giving more and more details and expanding more and more. Now, verse 42 to 51. Watch, therefore. Note that word, watch. For you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. Now, in addition to all those things we mentioned when we are talking about waiting, this word, watch, is crucial. It means don't fall asleep. It means be alert. It means don't allow somebody to send you on an errand that you have no business bearing. Don't allow people to derail what you are looking at. If you are supposed to be looking at something intently, and someone says, hey, 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 you know what is likely to happen? You are going to shift. So watch. Even when they say, hey, hey, continue to watch. Today, many people, hey, they are looking all around. They've, they've stopped watching. That's why the pursuit of money, the pursuit of houses, the pursuit of cars, the pursuit of job, the pursuit of being senator, pursuit of being president or governor, is now the infant amongst people who ought to be watching. Verse 43. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. He said, if you knew when the thief would come, will you sleep? You watch, you will be standing there and be looking. Say, that thief, let him come today, we will see what will happen. Therefore, you also be ready. Be what? Be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. No matter all the predictions that people are giving left, right and center, nobody knows that hour. They don't know that hour. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his master made ruler over his household, to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant, whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Is the pastor feeding the flock with the food due the flock in season? Do you understand it now? Or is he giving another, he's just, he has just come to, to give one foolish message. Instead of the message that will make them watch. To make them ready. He is the one giving them a message of, hey, 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 and they are all turning all over the place. And forgetting what they need to watch. Forgetting how they need to be ready. Verse 47. Now, surely I say to you, that he will make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming, that's what many people are saying now. He's delaying his coming. I'm going to mention something later. Let me, let's ask a question. If we prepare for the second coming, but he doesn't come in our lifetime, have we lost anything? The preparation for the second coming is the same preparation for entering heaven. I hope you know. So if you were not prepared for it, you wouldn't enter heaven. The second coming, the, the, the Bible tells us, and we are going to see it, that when that second coming takes place, when the trumpet is blown, the first people to rise are the dead in Christ. They are the first. Followed by those who are still alive. So there is no loss if you fall asleep before that time. I read 48 again. But if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming, and begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him, and at an hour when he is not aware of, and will cut him in two, and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
This fellow servant who is beaten, he says, and he beats his fellow servants. Note, he's a servant and fellow servant. He's not a, a master and servant. He's a servant and fellow servant. So all these titles that we are carrying on ourselves and acting as though we are lords over people is, is, is not scriptural. He says, and to eat and drink with the drunkards. Who are the drunkards? These are the unbelievers. They are the ones who get drunk. A Christian does not get drunk. The Bible says we should not, it says we should be filled with the Holy Spirit and not with wine. This man has left the things of God and he is going on parties. He's at OMS, he's at everywhere. He's attending functions, receiving awards, feeding fat, enjoying himself. He says the master of that servant will come at an hour when he's not looking for him. Because he has said in his mind, he's delaying the coming, he's delaying the coming. I don't think he's going to come soon. Let's, let's relax, let's relax, let's relax. Let's move to the next chapter. Because after this, he now moves on to the parable of the ten virgins. Matthew 25, from verse 1 to 13. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins, who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. The going out to meet the bridegroom, we're talking about the second coming. Now, five of them were wise, and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. Do you see why they were foolish? The foolishness was that they took the lamp all right, but no extra oil was taken. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. They had oil in the lamp and they had oil in a vessel. So they had extra oil and they held it. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. How many of them slept? All of them. Let me give you an illustration of what I'm trying to say here. Let's assume... They say to you that, ah, um, we, we are traveling at 6 p.m. And you are ready by 4, by 5. The man, no, no sign. 5.30, no sign. 6, no sign. Should you remove your clothes? What you do is wear that suit and lie down on your bed. You can be sleeping. When you have papa and papa, as you are getting up, you are set. What many people do is they want to hear papa and papa before they start packing their bags. A lot of people do that. They want to hear papa papa before they say, hey, wait, oh, wait, oh, let me wear my shirt. Let me wear my tie. And I've warned a lot of people that the way you prepare for a secular meeting is likely the way you are going to prepare for the return of the Lord Jesus. If you are one of those people who like to delay until, if they say the meeting is at nine, is at nine you want to enter the bathroom. You are, you are, you are, you are one of the foolish virgins. Verse six now. And at midnight a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. That's the trumpet sounding. He's there in the sky. Oh yeah, be raptured. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. It is the Holy Spirit that's going to rapture people. The man who has not been close to the Holy Spirit. Is it that day you want to get close to the Holy Spirit because of rapture? That fellow will be left behind. But the wise answered answer saying, No, lest there should, be, there should not be enough for us and you. But go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. This is something they should have done long ago. I think it's in Isaiah, this is Isaiah 55 or so, where the Bible says, Lo, come, buy, without money, for free. The time they were supposed to buy, they didn't buy. The people who bought, bought. They slept, wearing their clothes. The moment the trumpet sounds, they got up, they were ready, their clothes were there, their oil were ready, the books, the bags, everything was ready. Remember during the Exodus, before the Exodus, God told Israel, 
that they should be dressed for the journey that night. Because once they say move, it's not the time to be packing and be packed ready. You should be ready. And while, verse 10, and while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding. And the door was what? Shut. Afterwards, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore. We come across that word again. For you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Watch. Our waiting for the second coming. The, the two key things. Watch and be ready. Watch and be ready. Even if you are going to sleep, you know you will not sleep sound sleep. You will sleep the kind of sleep that once you're pan, you're, you, you must be awake. There's that kind of sleep that you are awaiting something. is never an enjoyable sleep. At least I know that. There are times when we have to use the generator at night. And we are waiting for, to see light in our neighbor. We open the curtain. We put our own, our own room in total darkness. And open the curtain. That, those nights I don't enjoy the sleep. Because at every turn I must open my eyes to see whether light has come. Whether light has come. And sometimes the whole night, no light. So it is in the morning that I can truly sleep. And usually for me, once the place is bright, I can't sleep again. Until it is dark again. I can't sleep again. I really must be very, very tired to have siesta. So watch therefore. Because you don't know. What does the Bible tell us about this matter in Ephesians chapter 5? Verse 14 through to 16. Therefore he says, awake you who sleep. Wake up. Some of us, even natural sleep, when they wake you, that's when you are just stretching. And you, you, you say, wait, 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 wait. You are now turning for the sweetness of sleep. When they are waking you. If you are that kind of person, the second coming has, gone and, has come and gone. You still be there turning. I remember when we were, when we were growing up. How do, how, how do you wake children up? You just take water. Oh, oh, oh. You must go to school. You have to get up. Awake, you who sleep. Arise from the dead. This is a different kind of sleep. What kind of sleep is this one now? The sleep of death. A dead man does not know anything. If you like, put rags on his body. He won't know. Put anything on his body. He doesn't know. A dead man does not know when activity is happening around him. Don't sleep that kind of sleep. How can you be so invested in, in sleep? I'm talking of spiritual sleep now. Sin is happening in your, in your life. You are not alive to it. To wake up and say, eh, what is this rubbish? You are entertaining it. After a while, sin will build a community in your life. By the time you wake up, you say, oh, I need deliverance. What deliverance? How many things are they going to remove? You were sleeping and they were packing. Sin was packing in. Not only packing in, bringing in friends and tenants. Subletting your apartment, your own apartment. Subletting to other tenants. If you want to drive them away, say, no, you are not the one that we didn't pay to you. We paid to you. Go and meet sin. So you can't even drive them out. It's sin that you must eject. May we not sleep this kind of sleep. The church, in many places, has left this sleep. That is why people can bring money to the church and we take it. We don't ask questions. We are happy. We didn't say, where did you get this money? A civil servant is giving you 10 million, civil servant is giving you 10 million naira. You didn't ask that, bro, is this your pension? Is this, was this a savings? What, what really is it? We just take it. We have slept that sleep. Awake, you who sleep. Arise from the dead and Christ will give you what? Light. It means you are in darkness. Many people are in church. They are hearing the message. 
but they are asleep. It, it, it doesn't even enter the ear. It's blocked. Verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. A wise man, if you are going to walk circumspectly as a wise man, you need the eyesight of God. You need to be able to see what God is seeing and how he's seeing it. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. When we talk of redeeming the time, what, are, what do we mean by that? You know, time cannot be saved. Time cannot be, you can't store it, you can't stretch it. You can't do anything like that with time. Once, once it is, um, what's it called? Five o'clock, what's today's date now? Five o'clock, January 15, 2017. Once it is five o'clock, you can never reclaim that five o'clock again. Once it is one minute past five, five o'clock has gone. If you were supposed to submit an assignment at five, and it's one minute past five, it's gone. Redeeming the time, what does it mean? It means that we must do everything that we need to do at the right, we must be on time in everything. Evangelize at the right time. There are some boys, I remember, you remember I've been telling you of some boys who smoke in their in one school there. I went there on um, New Year's Day. They were there. We shared. We, I tried to talk to them. Had an appointment for the next Sunday. Two Sundays going now, they are not there. And I wonder what has happened. All of them, not one of them is there. What has happened? Redeeming the time. When you are supposed to preach to somebody, preach to him there and then. Drop a word in his spirit, man. You don't know what will happen to that fellow the next day. I've told you the story of one of my uncles. We're traveling to Abuja, my wife and I. We're going for a visa interview. And we saw him. We're both sitting in the first class cabin. We said, ah, uncle, how are you? Ah, this, this, this. I was supposed to preach to him. But then I was passing the church and we're going to do church, church dedication, building dedication. So I took his address that, uncle, I'm inviting you for, I'm going to invite you for a building, a dedication of our church. He said, no problem, no problem, this is my address. We're going to dedicate that building in April, February or March. My uncle was killed, assassinated. I mean, I, I, I almost broke my head, not because of that, but the fact that there I was on a 45, min, 45, 50 minute flight. I could have said one or two things. Let him even argue with me or whatever. But I would have dropped something in the spirit. Man. Instead, I was thinking that in April, we will settle that matter. He never lived till April. Redeeming the time. Because the days are evil. Anything, that's why the days are evil. Anything can happen. You see a healthy man today, the next day he's dead. Somebody was sharing with me, said, that's going to bury a friend of mine. He woke up in the, the wife woke him up at night. The, to, uh, that um, uh, Nepal has come or something. Turn on the fan. He woke up, went to turn on the fan. Came back and slept. In the morning, the wife heard him snoring louder than before. Ah, wake up now, why are you snoring? Only to discover that he was actually choking. Before she could know what was happening, he was flat dead. He woke up a few hours before. I don't know if his fellow was born again or not, but assume that he was not born again. And the husband told the wife at that 2 a.m., this is time to talk to your husband. He said, oh, Holy Spirit, he's sleeping now. In the morning, let him, let me to have sleep is in my eye. I can't do anything serious. Do you know that, that opportunity is not redeeming the time? Because the days are evil. The days are deceptive. You will think it will not rain. It will rain. You say, oh, I, I will do it at 5, at, at, at 5.30. Mm, it's still, the weather is clear. By 25 minutes past 5, wow, this is Potakot. It rains any, anyhow. The rain will just start falling. And that's it. You can't do it again. By the time you get to the fellow's house, oh, he has traveled. The next thing you hear is, the car had an accident. He's the only one who died. You've been hitting your head on the wall. Let's start redeeming the time. Verse 17. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. This is how to live 
when we are waiting for the second coming. Verse 18. Do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with what? The Spirit. Don't follow those who are drinking, who are in, 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 in revelries, and are asking you, where, where in the scripture does the Bible say, don't drink wine? And may I have the scriptures for them, actually, that you may not have. So, don't follow them to be arguing the scriptures. Where, where does the Bible say there's no wine, there's no wine? Go and read Proverbs chapter 31, where a mother advised a son, who is a king. He said, Lemuel, my son, wine is not for kings. It's for people who have sorrows, so that they can forget their sorrows. In Revelations 19, 6 to 8, the Bible is talking of the scene in heaven at about the time when the marriage supper will take place. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice, and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself what? Ready. How did she make herself ready? That, that moment, throughout that period. Let me tell you. Okay, let me just finish it and then I will explain this to you. Verse 8. And to her it was granted, note that word, to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous act of the saints. If you are not ready, there will be no granting of the privilege to put on this linen of white. Now, in old Israel, when a girl is betrothed, usually at the age of 13, 14, 12, 13, 14, the girl is betrothed to a man. The man brings a cloth to the girl. That is his gift to the girl. And then he goes away to return for the marriage when the girl is between the ages of 18, 19, 20. I don't think they even allow the girl to get to 21. Between 18 and 20, that's when they will come back for the marriage. Now, between that age 12 and that age 18 or 20, that cloth that man has given to the girl, she will start sewing the design on the dress that she will put on on the wedding day. Her work primarily is to be sewing the embroidery. The, the cloth has been given to her. She is now to do the design for the embroidery on that cloth. That is what she is expected to be doing between that time when they gave her the cloth and the time when she's going to get married. It is also that cloth that will be used for, to, the, to, to pick the blood of her virginity, which she will now wrap and give to her father. And in case that man comes tomorrow and says she wasn't a virgin, they will bring the cloth out to show. So her primary work is on that thing. Now, how does it apply to you and I? You and I are this bride. We are part of the bride of Christ, right? When we got born again, when we were betrothed to Christ, that's what it means. He gave us white linen. What's that white linen now? His righteousness. We are now supposed to do works of righteousness. That's the sewing, the embroidery on that cloth. If you have not made yourself ready, nobody will give you permission to put on that thing. Because it means that you have not done any righteous works. You making yourself ready is part of the righteous works. Do you understand? That's what it means that the, the, the linen is the righteous act of the saints. So evangelism is part of the sewing of the embroidery on this white cloth of righteousness. It would be a disaster for somebody to have white linen alone and no design. That means he did nothing for Christ. 
Those are the people that they say you find at the far, far distant place of the world. It's just that they are in heaven. But they are so far away that there is a thing where they are is darkness, even though it's light. Brethren, we need to make ourselves ready. We need to engage ourselves in activities that God wants us to engage in. And the beauty of it is that the Holy Spirit has been given to help us to do the work. That's the Holy Spirit baptism. That you are empowered to do the work of God, to serve God acceptably. Those are your righteous works, your, 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 your good works. Not dead works, but good works. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 and 11, the Bible says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, and each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. The works, each one of us will do it. Our motives will be tested. Why did you go for evangelism? Because you want God to bless that business. That's why I went for evangelism. They will mark it wrong. You must do it for the love of God. That's when it is it's done accordingly. Oh, he did it in his strength. Mark wrong. It must be done by the Spirit of God through you. That's the judgment of God. That's why people, people will be weeping. Wait! Tarry in Jerusalem till ye be endued with power from under. You jump up. Bah! You go and do something. You have no mark. It's zero. God says go and do this. You are waiting. I want to pray. I want to be sure. I want to be sure. No mark. That prayer has no mark. Verse 11. Knowing therefore, this is a very critical thing, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. You know, many of us think that when we see the Lord, He will just be soft, lamb. You are going to meet a lion whose eyes, you remember what John, how John described his encounter. He said, I fell down as one who was dead. Once I turned around and said, eh? this is, is this the same Jesus I used to see on earth? He fell down as dead. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. Do you know the kind of punishment that many of us will receive. Remember the scripture that says those who knew the Lord's will and did not do it. Who knew the Lord's will uh, who, who knew not the Lord's will will be given little strokes. But those who knew his will and did not do it plenty, people, will, people will be caned in hell. Many of us will be receiving canes. I told you to say this. You didn't say it. Flogging. Serious lashing. I'm just using human explanation for it. But you will know, you will know the pain of that thing. When God is speaking to you. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. We persuade men. But we are well known to God. And I also trust as well known. In your consciences. We must be. We beg. We still beg. Follow Christ. You are born again. And know Christ. You know Christ. And serve him. Because that day. Each man will stand alone. No man will stand with his wife. No wife will stand with the husband. No child will stand with the father or mother. No mother will stand with the daughter or son. No father will stand with daughter or mother. Uh, with, with, with daughter, because fathers love their daughters a lot. No father will be able to stand with their daughter. Each person will stand alone. And it's not the one that, will, that you'll be saying, uh, you didn't do this. You will know what you have not done. You will know it. And people will start weeping. The, the fact that you knew that you didn't do the right thing is enough pain. The, the way people feel pain in the spirit is different from the way we feel in the flesh. People will be, people will be crying. You see somebody will cry, 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 cry. You, you yourself will be trembling because you don't know how... Everybody that will go in there and come out will be crying. Some people will receive gifts, but they will still be crying. Why? They will see where they made errors. Where they thought they were... He probably held a crusade of one million people. And what God told him to do was to meet 
in a hotel room with five. All the one million didn't mean anything to them. It was that five. And out of those five, maybe one ended up an armed robber. Another one ended up a rapist. And now I ended up just a, a criminal. But that meeting could have stemmed it. But instead of the five, he was more interested in the one million. Because of this terror of the Lord, we persuade men. We look at those who are not born again. I think, which, when was it that I spoke about the wrath of God? Was it two Sundays ago? When you know the wrath of God, you'll be begging some one below, please, please. <laughs> you need to give your life to Christ. You will go over and over and over and over. Sometimes when I'm going to this internal here, I'm wondering why am I always going here? So, well, let's go there. Knowing the terror of the Lord. <laughs> if, if one of these people can be saved, is that not fair enough? Today we don't even see them again. We need to be careful. Because of this thing, knowing the terror of the Lord, what did the Lord do? Ephesians chapter 4, from verse 11 to 16. And he, that is the Lord Jesus himself, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. For what purpose? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. The, what we are doing here is equipping you for the work of ministry. We are also edifying this body so that we can all be strong in faith. We can be, we can be, we can be persevering in patience. We can hold on to the word of God and handle it rightfully, correctly interpreting it. Verse 13, we continue to do this. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of... Do you see how important it is to know God and the Son of God? We come to the fullness of the knowledge of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We continue to do this thing on and on and on and on and it doesn't end. Because we will never fully know Christ. But each day is an opportunity to know Him more. To know Him better and better and better and better. The Bible makes us understand in Second Peter chapter 1 verse 2. No, verse, I think it's verse 3. 2 to 3 or something. It says, as we know Him better. It says number 1, peace. In verse 2 it says, peace and grace be multiplied unto you as you know Him better and better. So as your knowledge of Christ increases, what happens to your own life? Grace and peace is increasing. Then, as that knowledge continues to increase, something else happens to you. All that you need to live a godly life is given to you. So the more of Christ you know, the easier it is to live a godly life because you are now enabled to do that. And the more of Christ you know, the more an entrance is created for you to gain access into eternal life. So the knowledge of the Son of God is crucial. That's what the pastor has been called to do. That's what the evangelist has been called to do, the prophet, the apostle, the teacher. To cause men to come and know the Son of God more and more and more and more. It's not to teach you to go and make money. It's not to tell you to begin to pursue things that you have no business pursuing. Whatever he has been called to do is tied, remember, to the three great promises. This is tied to the second coming. This is what you must be doing between now and the time the second coming comes. You need to be knowing Christ. You need to have a unity of faith. If we are talking of unity of faith, we cannot have calm. Because there is no unity of faith. The Catholics believe they are Catholics. They, are not, they tell you they are not Christians. They are Catholics. The CNS have their own. The Olumba and Lumba have their own. The Aladura have their own. Everybody has his own thing. Who is following the Bible? Even among the Pentecostals, they have doctrines that have nothing to do with scripture. There's no unity of faith there. Verse 14. That we should no longer be children. This is what the work of church leaders 
yeah, church leadership is about. We must raise mature people. They can come in as babes, but then they must grow through the word of God and the teachings therefrom. And enter into maturity where they know the difference between right and wrong and always choose what is right. How can somebody be asking you in the church, Pastor, is it right to play MMM? Shouldn't he know? And some pastors are dancing around the thing. They cannot tell them, no. Is it right to play lottery? No. Is it right to gamble? No. Is it right to go and do beauty contests? No. Let's tell them straight. Oh, but Esther did. That is Esther. That's, that's the Old Testament. In the New Testament, you are not doing jack like that. Why can we not be bold enough to tell the truth? But we are bold enough to insult people and use abusive words. Then we cannot sim- tell them simple, simple truth. That we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. This, look, we have been deceived in the body of Christ. The big general overseers and general superintendents have been, they have been deceived to think that money is what makes the church. That numbers is the church. That's why all they see are, are the numbers and the money. Yet the church is not about numbers and money. The church is about the presence of God in the midst of his people. Remember what Moses said to the, to the Israelites in Deuteronomy. He said, God did not choose you because you were more than every other nation. In fact, you are the least of all the nations. So when we fool ourselves with size and we think it's because we are many, no. And I'm not speaking because we are few. I've pastored the big church myself. But I've seen that it's very easy for cockroaches to hide inside a big church. There's no hiding place in a small church. It doesn't mean that if we are, if we are ten here, that all ten are going to heaven. But at least you can, you can get across the message to that person. He cannot hide anywhere and say, I didn't hear. Verse 15. But speaking the truth in love. Truth in love does not mean that you will not tell them the truth or that you will be begging them when you are telling the truth. No. The love of God is what is at your heart. Remember what, what uh, Paul had written. He says, knowing the terror, we, 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 we persuade men out of love. It doesn't mean we will speak the truth and doesn't mean we will not speak it as we should speak it. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head. Grow up into who? Into Christ. From whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. In the body of Christ, each person is supplying something. It, you can, you, if, you, if, you are, if you say you are in the body of Christ, and you are not engaging any function in that body, you are, you are a weight, an unnecessary weight. At one time, Paul mentioned that those of you who are being taught the word of God should share with those who are teaching you those things with, from your carnal substance. There's a sharing. This man doesn't have carnal substance. He has spiritual things. He gives it to you. You, you have carnal things. You give it to him. There's a, a, a back and forth there. Each joint. So from, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its what? Share. Causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. What happens if your kidney stops functioning? Or if your kidney is functioning badly? Will your body be healthy? It cannot be. So each part, each one of us must play his role. You, cannot, you should not feel comfortable that somebody is doing your assignment for you. And you come and fold hands. Why should you be that? Why should you do that? You are already marking, you are already getting wrong zero, zero, zero every time. That's what is happening to you. If you ever get into the kingdom, you will be crying from morning till night. Because you will see how easy it was for you to do the work that God wanted you to do. But you were more comfortable 
allowing other people to do it for you. Were, you, you maybe you thought you were enjoying yourself and hiding and dodging. It, 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 is, it is normal. When you get to, in those days, when we, when we, were, when we were growing up as, as young believers, when you enter a church, maybe you, 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 you go to a city and you're going to be there for maybe like two or three weeks because you're doing a project, you go approach the pastor. I'm here for two to three weeks, sir. Well, is there something I can do in that time? You must never feel comfortable to go to church and just sit down. And then you pack your bag and you go away. You need to ask, even if you are there for, as long, if you are there for a reasonable length of time, three weeks is enough. What can I do in the next two, three weeks? Oh, it, normally they will tell you that, well, you can join them to arrange the chairs or sweep. It doesn't matter how big you are. Arrange the chairs and sweep. You are doing something in your father's house. But no. We will, we will go to a place and sneak and dodge away and run, and run away from the place. I can understand if you are just there for that Sunday, that, that's okay. But you are going to be there for like two, three Sundays. Ah, you need to find out what can I do here. And be involved in the, in the work. Not now talk of the local assembly where you are worshipping. They will be begging you to come and do this. How can they be begging you to do such a thing? And you are happy. Luke chapter 12, 35 to 40. Let your waist be guarded and your lamps burning. When you are guarding the waist, what, what does that mean? Uh, what, does it, what does it portray now? Eh? Yes, for what now? Somebody who wants to walk. Let your waist be guarded and your lamps burning. Because it, this world we are living in is a dark world. So that lamp must be burning. To, to be able to see quickly at night. When others are sleeping, you are not sleeping, I cannot sleep. You are walking. It's a dark world out there, but you are walking. With the light that God has given you. And you yourselves, like men who wait for their master. When he will return from the wedding. That when he comes and knocks, they may open to him. How? 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 Say it aloud, please. Not that they will open to him casually. Say, yes, who is that? Immediately. Why? They were expecting him. They are the door. Ah, okay, it's you. You open immediately. Not yes, who is that? Uh-huh. You are yawning. Yes. Scratching your head. Who is that? Who is that? You are asking questions. You are not at the gate. Ah, it's okay. That's what he's saying here. Must open immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find what? Watching. Remember that word again. Watching. They are not sleeping. They are alert. They are looking through the keyhole or the, 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 the peephole to see whether it's coming. They see the, they, they see the light of a car. They are by the gate waiting to open. Once they see the, the trafficator coming, they, they throw wide the gate or gas come. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. So when he sees such people, he himself will serve them. But not us. We are doing something else. And if he should come in the second watch, or come in the third watch and find them so blessed are those servants. Um, you had hours and you had, you had watches in the night. And the watches were three. There were, were four, four, what do they call them now? Four hours and three watches in the Jewish timing. So you had um, the first hour was 9 a.m. The second hour... No, first hour was 6 a.m., second hour was 9 a.m., third hour was 12, fourth hour was 3 p.m., then first watch, 6 p.m., then second watch, I think was, um, is it 9, 9 p.m., third watch, 12 midnight, fourth watch was 3 a.m. So, be ready if he comes in the second watch or come in the third watch. 
and find them so. Blessed are those servants. In other words, it doesn't matter how late he comes. Make sure you are awake. But know this, that if the master of the house, we've said this in Matthew, the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Be ready. What are the ways by which we are made ready? Hebrews 10, 23 to 25. You will see some of the simple ways. By now, I pray that by the time we finish this one, this little one, you will see the essence of coming to... You are not coming. It's not drudgery. You don't go to church out of drudgery. Uh, that's why you, you, you come knowing what you are coming to do. You are coming to meet with the Lord. You are coming to prepare yourself for that time. Verse 23, 10, uh, Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. What is our hope now that we are confessing? Eh? The second coming. This is the second coming. We are expecting him to come without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. He made a promise that is coming. He will come. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Let's encourage one another. Bro, that assignment that uh, you are giving, do it now. I don't mind. I can even follow you and do the assignment. Verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. What is this day now? The second coming. When we assemble together in the body, we are being prepared for the second coming of God. When we teach you to live a holy life, we are preparing you for the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we teach you from the doctrines of the Bible, the things that we ought to do, husband, love your wives, wives, submit your... We are telling you, be ready. This is how you don't do this. You are not getting there. If I now come, just because I want to make the women happy, and I say, well, you know, this submission, submission thing, it's not like that to husbands. Don't, don't, uh, don't kill yourself. You know what I'm doing? I've become that evil servant. Who is not giving the right food to the fellow servants. And God is going to require the blood of all those people who lived by my wrong teaching. And I will not be able to answer. And there is no way you will, your teaching sends somebody to hell. And you will not go there. There is no way. So we must be careful what we are handling the word of truth. We need to be praying. You just don't carry the message and say, oh, I, 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 just, I just want to share with you people one or two quick things. And then you are, you are, you are, you are boasting in what you are saying. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 from verse 1 to 11. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. What's he referring to here again? The second coming. So you see that, you see, the moment you take a subject and you begin, you see that the Bible talks so much about it. How come we don't preach about these things? But people tell us, oh, Jesus spoke so much about money. And I always ask them, what did he say about money? Did he say pursue it? Did he not say to you that you should not put your, your hopes in money? If he talks so much about money, what did he say about money? Now look at how much is, has been said about the second coming. And I just tried to skip some things. Go to Second Thessalonians chapter 2, chapter 3, you will find it there. First Thessalonians chapter 4 is there. It's spoken about the second coming all over the place. But they don't teach that one. There will be countless many times money is written in the Bible and tell us that that is, a, is an essential doctrine. Verse 3. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes 
upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman and they shall not escape. It's referring to that time when the Antichrist will come and promise peace. And everybody say, yes, it's peace, it's peace. Before what they know what has happened, he has come with his own, with his own agenda and they cannot escape. They are already caught in that trap. That's why be careful when people are luring you with all kinds of the day they will hold that lock of the trap. You are inside there because you want for sir. Verse 4. But you, brethren, are not in darkness. Are we in darkness? Sometimes I think the church is in darkness. So that this day should overtake you as a thief. In other words, if we are not, if we are living like people who are in darkness, this day will overtake us as a thief. Remember what I said. If you die suddenly, unprepared, you know today has overtaken you. Even death will come as a thief. I, 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 I read a very funny thing. I don't, I don't know how true it is. I don't think it's true actually. I think someone was just cracking a joke. Death came to see one man and put his name was number one on the list. And Death said, I'm coming to take you. The man said, ah, okay, that let me entertain you. So he had a brew that makes people sleep. So he gave Death the brew. Death now slept. So when Death slept, he removed his name on the number one and put it at the bottom. So when Death woke up, he said, ah, that was a wonderful brew you gave me. In fact, I slept well. I'm going to do you a big favor. I will start from the bottom. <laughs> Brethren, let it not overtake us. Amen. You cannot try that craft. You will just find out that he will start from the bottom. If you put your name in the middle, you say, okay, I want, let me, I will help you. I'll start from the middle. You will pick you there. So you can't try that trick. Verse 5. You are all, all, all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. The Bible says that when men do evil things, when do they do it? At night. So if we are doing evil, it means we are sons of night, we are sons of darkness. We should be doing good things, good deeds. We should be doing things that will make men see our light and say, yes, these are the sons of God. Verse 6, therefore, let us not sleep as others do. But let us watch and be sober. Sobriety is one of the marks of people who are watching and waiting for their master. Sobriety. You don't get drunk and say you are waiting and watching. You can't do that. You can't just go on a celebration that has no bearing. We were taught when I was a young believer that Satan will attack you. One of the times when he attacks you is when you are actually celebrating. So we celebrate with, we make sure that our two eyes are wide open when we are celebrating. You don't celebrate into the night. Mellow your celebration, tone it down. The time of wild jubilation, when we really, really celebrate, is in heaven, not here on earth. When you have not run the race, you have not caught, you have not pressed the tape, what are you celebrating? You can imagine a man who is running one mile, and then because he has done the third lap, and he has, the bell has rung, he's now strutting. Say yes, we are there. Has he pressed the tape yet? They, they will just come and pass him by. Verse four, 7. For those who sleep, sleep when? At night. And those who get drunk, they are drunk when? At night. Let's live like people who have light. Let's be sober. Our dresses should be sober. Our, our talk should be sober. Our, the things that we engage in, there should be sobriety. We shouldn't be flamboyant. There's no flamboyance in this thing. Ostentation in Christianity is not, is not scriptural. It's not scriptural. We ought to be frugal. Verse 8. But let us 
who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. When you got born again, the, the, the wrath of God was removed from you and what was brought in? The salvation of Christ. Let it remain. God did not save you so that you come and be, be, be partaker of his wrath. But if you don't live as you should live, if you don't make yourself ready, that's what is going to happen. You will find yourself at the wrong end. Verse 10. Uh, Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Remember what I said. Whether you sleep or you are alive when he comes, is the same thing. So if you were ready for the return of the Lord and you pass on, that readiness ushers you into heaven. You are, you are, you are ushered because you were getting ready for the second coming. The coming came before your time. You slept before that time. You are ready. You are, you are made ready. Because you prepared yourself. You were not one of those saying, well, it may not come in my time. It may not come in my time. So no, no, no wahala. It may not come in your time. That's true. But do you know when death will come for you? Verse 11. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another just as you also are doing. This is what we should be doing in the church. Comforting, encouraging, edifying. Not encouraging people to sin, but encouraging them to hold on to God. Yeah, I know it's tough. I know it's difficult. Not to say, ah, it's difficult, but well, let me show you one way out of this. No. I know it's difficult. Just hold on to God. Keep talking to God. God will make a way of escape. Ah, but the shame. But the, don't worry. After a while, you wouldn't even feel that shame again. God will see you through. Edify one another. I, 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 I'm on one of, the, one of this WhatsApp forum, forum. Where it's actually a, a forum of believers. Some of the things they posted there has caused some of us to start asking that. What is the purpose of this forum? What's the purpose of this forum? Yes, we can crack some jokes. But not to come and bring some silly, silly things there and be putting there. Things that cause division. Is what some people will be pasting. I don't want to see the gory photographs of Southern Cardinal. I don't want to see it. Don't send it to me. I don't want to see it. What, what has seen it got to do? With, what, what, after a while, you, you, the way things are going with the social media, after a while, you will see a dead body who mean anything to you. You will be so desensitized to things that it will be normal. I want, to, I want my sensitivity to remain intact. So when I see a dead body next time, I say, Ah, this fellow, I hope, I hope he got saved. And then I can quickly rush to somebody who is not saved. I say, Oh boy, you better get saved. I pray that the Lord will help us in Jesus' name. Let's conclude. As sure as the two of the three great promises in the Bible have happened, so will the third and last of the great promises, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, take place. Everyone who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ must wait for the second coming of the Lord with great expectation, great anticipation, great faith, and tremendous patience, perseverance, and prayer. In addition, we must wait for the second coming of the Lord with more than this. We must watch as no one knows when the second coming of the Lord will be. To watch means that you do not sleep like others would. You do not act wantonly like others would. You are alert and looking forward to the return of the Lord. Also, we must wait by making ourselves ready for the second coming of the Lord. Making yourself ready is the preparation that must precede the granting of the privilege to adorn oneself 
in one's works of righteousness. By the way, you cannot adorn yourself in the works of righteousness of another man. So you cannot say, uh, my pastor, when, when my, what my pastor is doing will cover me. No, it's what you are doing. To help us get ready, the Lord has given us apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors and teachers to ensure the growth and development of each believer till we all come to the unity of the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. We must therefore stop seeing our assembling together as drudgery or as a gathering for personal carnal benefits. Rather, our gathering together must be for the edification of the church, strengthening one another in the faith and encouraging each other to continue to persevere in the face of challenges and persecution. We must have at the back of our minds the parable of the ten virgins, in which though all ten virgins slept, yet there were those who were nonetheless ready. They had gotten everything ready, so that when the alarm was sounded, they did not need to be scampering for the things they ought to have had in readiness. That was the problem of the foolish ones. And then when they had loved the Lord, they now went and knocked. One man of God said, that's how they would say, eh, Jesus, ask Nkechi, Nkechi and I were Nkechi, are you hearing? Tell him, tell him. You know we're together now. I just went to get... Nkechi has moved. Nkechi is not at that door. Once he opened the door, she had gone into the hall for the wedding. Do you know how many people will be outside banging? When the Lord said, get away from me, I know you not. Walk off, walk off, you walk off iniquity. We need to be, we need, this things need to be rehashed and rehearsed in our hearing. We must also be mindful of the deception of this age, which calls us away from God onto something that has no bearing on eternity. Politics is one of the deceptions of this age. See Christians killing themselves over who is going to be president or not president. Even in America, in Nigerian Christians I'm talking of, fighting themselves over, over America that they will never even travel to. Just look at the distraction. We talk of when we, when we bring in money, we are distracted by it. All manner of things that have no bearing on eternal life. That's the deception of this age. And many of us have fallen for it. Even our big pastors, they have fallen for it. The Lord Jesus asked the question, What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and he loses his soul? Many of us see the crowd and all that. that that's all we see. We forget that you yourself, you are a servant. And they are also servants. They are not their Lord. You all have the same Lord. So if you are not doing what you are supposed to do, you will be cast aside. Many people look at the, the work and not the salvation that brought them to do that work. If you lose that salvation, that work is zero. You might as well go and be working for Satan. Furthermore, we must particularly take evangelism and discipleship very seriously. It must be in our nature, in our DNA to seek the lost and reach them with the gospel of Christ wherever they may be, thus hastening his return. It means that we must be praying. We, must be, we are not praying for things anymore. We are praying for God to use us to share the gospel with people as their hearts are receptive to it. Finally, holiness must be our lifestyle and the pursuit of peace with all men must be our approach to dealing with all men. At the center of everything must be our love for God, our love for the brethren, and our love for all men. And if while waiting for the second coming, as enumerated severally above, your time to leave the earth arrives, you can rest assured that you will be among the saints who will be resurrected at the second coming of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. 
waiting for the promise. The basics are there. This one is crucial. This is the one that takes us into the kingdom. We must wait for it. We must watch. We must make ourselves ready. We must stop allowing ourselves to be distracted. Be focused. Remember, we are children of light. We are children of the day. Let's walk while, there is, while it is day. The night is coming when no man can walk. When that night time comes, you cannot preach a sermon anymore. There is no more sermon to be preached. When you die, all the sermons you wanted to preach, they died. While you have breath in you, this time to preach. Don't look at yourself and say, Oh, I'm too small. What can I do here? You can do a lot. Naaman uh, 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 captured a girl and took that girl home. That girl was a maid. That was the girl that introduced Naaman through Naaman's wife to Elijah, where Naaman got healed and came to the knowledge of the God of Israel. Don't say, I'm too old. I can't do anything. You'll be shocked. Old people can do a lot. It has nothing to do with our age. Don't say, I'm too young. No, I'm, I'm young. Nothing. I, I still have time. You may not have time. You may drop dead the next instant. Thank God for those of us who are, who are, who are, who are, who are aging. But there are people who, 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 who were born in our own time. They are not alive today. Let's turn to our feet. He's coming back again. He's coming back again. He went away and promised that he's coming back again. He's coming back again. I said, is coming back again. Oh, glory, hallelujah. He's coming back again. He's coming back again. I said,
Jesus is our opportunity. That this thing is actually, he says, this is my story. It's a personalized thing that I want to see. It's personal to you. He says, this is my story. Is it your story? Do you have a blessed assurance that Jesus is yours? Is that your story? Do you have a fortress of glory divine? Are you an heir of salvation? Have you been purchased of God? Are you born of the Spirit? Are you washed in His blood? Are you submitting perfectly? Is all really at rest in your life? Are you happy and blessed in the Savior? Are you watching and waiting, looking above? Are you filled with the goodness of God? Are you lost in His love? Do you have perfect delight? Are you receiving visions of the rapture? Do you see angels descending from above? Are you receiving echoes of mercy? Whispers of God's love? Does this thing capture you as a person? Does it capture your preparedness for the second part? Talk to the Lord. Ask the Lord to help you. To prepare. To prepare.
No man knows the hour. No man knows the time. He may come in the second world. He may come in the third world. I'm sure you know that when it is 6 p.m. in one part of the world, it can be 12 p.m. in another part of the world. When the Lord will come, it will be 24 hours around, around the world. It will be daytime in one place. It will be nighttime in another place. It will be direct. It will be in the Bible. Make sure you are not the one that will be left. Talk to the Lord. Talk to the Lord. You cannot be in church. Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday night visit. And yet, when the Lord comes, you miss it. You cannot be laboring, having class about, preaching, going to people, inviting people to church, donating for church building.
like those who sleep in night at night those of darkness we are sons of the light sons of the day help us to walk while it is day because no one can walk when it is night thank you everlasting Christ blessed be your name Lord. in Jesus name